Hi, my name is Frida Blostein, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Emily Crossette, Nicholas Medina. We're all doctoral students and fellows in the Integrated Training in Microbial Systems, or ITEMS, program at the University of Michigan. ITEMS is a program funded by the Burroughs Welcome Fund and is dedicated to training students to investigate microbial science using mathematical modeling, population sciences, and laboratory techniques. So Frida, Nicholas, and I all study microbes and microbial communities, although we do so in different systems and different fields. I'm an environmental engineer and I study microbes in land-applied manure and biosolids, which are resources that are recovered through waste treatment. While I study interactions between microbial communities, invertebrate activity, and soil structure as an ecologist. And I'm an epidemiologist, studying how commensal microbes of different body sites, like the oral microbiome, can influence human health and disease. So one thing we wanted to do in this podcast was play a fun microbial game, where we'll give you hints about a specific microbial species or genus throughout the podcast, and you can try and guess what that microbe is before the end of the episode. So here's your first clue. The species name of this microbe means waxy in Latin and refers to the appearance of its colonies. It was actually at an items retreat where we met Dr. Joe Handelsman, who broke some earth-shattering news for us. The average rate of soil erosion across agricultural land is about 10 times uh, the rate at which it's produced which doesn't give us very long for um, having productive agricultural land. And in many areas, that will be, uh, it already is a crisis. And that is what inspired this podcast series. In this three-episode miniseries, we'll be addressing the soil crisis, the science of soil, and some exciting scientific developments that may help ameliorate this crisis. First, let's talk a little bit about why soil is important and what's going wrong. And who better to ask than the pioneer in microbial sciences who sparked our interest, Dr. Joe Handelsman. Dr. Handelsman is the director for the Wisconsin Institute for Discovery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She also served for three years as the associate director for science at the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy under President Obama. Well, soil is uh, something that we depend on for uh, first and foremost, probably uh, most people would think of food production, and that's uh, probably the single um, most direct effect of losing soil is that we lose our capacity to produce food because 95% um, of our food supply comes directly or indirectly from uh, crops. And the other one is water quality, uh, generally drinking water quality and all kinds of water quality because soil is the biggest filter for water on earth. And we depend on the soil to um, process water that is contaminated at the surface. And by the time it gets to our groundwater, it tends to be a lot cleaner and that's because of the action of the soil. If we don't have topsoil uh, with all the nutrients and, and organisms, that are acting on the water as it percolates through, um, then we're not gonna have clean water. So there are several environmental and health issues that uh, interface very directly with soil loss. Before we talk to Dr. Handelsman, 
I could have guessed that soil was important for food production, but I never really thought about how important it could be for water quality too. But it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it really underlines for me how interconnected our environment is. Yes, and how fragile the system is, and how delicate this balance is between soil health and water quality. Speaking of fragile, Dr. Handelsman also told us about how soil and the microorganisms in soil intersect with something that I worry about a lot, climate change. Uh, it also is the biggest repository for carbon on Earth uh, on, in terrestrial environments. It uh, contains between two and three times as much carbon as the atmosphere and uh, probably about the same, roughly two to three times as much as all the plants and trees on Earth contain. So as a storage house for carbon, it's incredibly important for climate change uh, and both and can, can play a positive and a negative role. If we release the carbon that's in the soil, that can have obviously a negative effect, but it also has the capacity to hold more carbon than uh, it currently does. Um, the soil has, has some other uh, potential to contribute to uh, climate change. One of the things we've found in recent years is that as areas that are under permafrost have begun to melt and, and thaw, microorganisms that um, normally are quiescent and not very metabolically active are starting to release methane, which is a very powerful uh, greenhouse gas. It's about 20 times more effective as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. And so release of methane is a very uh, concerning problem. And as we warm the, the earth, more soils will thaw, more methane producing bacteria will essentially wake up and produce methane, and then that will worsen the problem. So it's, it's a truly vicious cycle of um, of the behavior of soil microorganisms and climate change. So soil can either be a huge force for preventing climate change or part of the vicious cycle that enhances it. Climate change is complicated and soil is complex. That's why we need whole fields of scientific study to understand them. Well, I'm super concerned about climate change and I also really like eating food and drinking water like basically every human should. So I'm pretty convinced that soil is really important. Important and vulnerable. We have a problem, which is that we're losing our soil at unprecedented rates. Dr. Handelsman alluded to that previously, but let's hear what she has to say more specifically. So uh, the challenge is holding onto our soil in the face of uh, increasingly severe uh, and frequent weather in the Midwest, in particular in this country, um, that washes the soil away or makes it vulnerable to wind erosion, which blows it away. Dr. Handelsman mentions two types of erosion here, wind and water erosion. And these terms refer to the underlying action causing the erosion. But regardless of how erosion is happening, it has devastating effects on the soil, breaking down the structure of soil. And when the nutrient-rich topsoil is lost, there can be ecosystem-wide shifts and loss of plant roots that help protect the soil from erosion to begin with. So this becomes a compounding process, and different types of soil can be more or less vulnerable to erosion. 
soil structure, soil types, what do these terms even mean? Soil structure refers to the arrangement of solid parts of soil and the pore space between them. It's determined by how the solid pieces of the soil clump and bind together and aggregate, which is influenced by the organic material, often from microbes, that are part of the soil as well. Soils can also be made of different proportions of inorganic material like sand, silt, and clay. And often that's what we mean when we refer to different soil types. We'll talk about this a little bit more in our second episode too. So if you're intrigued, stay tuned. And speaking of seconds, here's our second clue for the microbe of the episode. Although rare, a variant of this bacterial species has acquired plasmids that enable it to produce anthrax, a deadly toxin. Okay, so that explanation of soil structure makes sense to me. Uh, and also, I think I understand erosion a little bit better now too. Erosion takes away the topsoil, which then impacts which plants can grow, which can lead to even more erosion. And of course, this isn't actually the first time we've had an erosion crisis in the United States, right? That's right. And in the Dust Bowl, it was, you know, the Oklahoma, Kansas area that was so devastated by that. And it was um, precipitated by the way the soil was managed that made it vulnerable to erosion. And what happened was that it, it was precipitated specifically by a, a, a drought that made the soil very dry and was made it susceptible to wind erosion. What we're dealing with in the upper Midwest is uh, more often water erosion, um, but the change in weather is precipitating a change in, in that kind of erosion and increasing the intensity of water erosion. The Dust Bowl was such a serious issue that it actually made it into FDR's famous fireside chats. I shall never forget the fields of wheat, so blasted by heat that they cannot be harvested. I shall never forget field after field of corn, stunted, earless, stripped of leaves, for what the sun left, the grasshoppers took. I saw brown pasture that would not keep a cow on 50 acres. Yet I would not have you think for a single minute that there is permanent disaster in these drought regions, or that the picture I saw meant depopulating these areas. No cracked earth, no blistering sun, no burning wind, no grasshoppers are a permanent match for the indomitable American farmers and stockmen and their wives and children who have carried on through desperate days and inspire us with their self-reliance, their tenacity, and their courage. Time for another microbe clue. This microbe isn't all bad. It actually can enhance plant growth, partially through the natural production of antibiotics, which inhibit the growth of plant pathogens. The Dust Bowl was incredibly grim, like we just heard in FDR's fireside chat. And the effects were pretty far-reaching. I just read an article from 2015 which showed that individuals exposed to soil erosion during the Dust Bowl were less likely to finish college and more likely to experience health problems and poverty later in life. And these effects were especially pronounced in individuals who were exposed in utero, 
which means that they were exposed before they were even born. So if soil erosion's been happening in the U.S. since the 1930s, why don't we have any solutions today? Like FDR was saying, isn't there something farmers can do to increase the quality of their soil now? Well, one way to amend soil is by applying biosolids from wastewater treatment plants or manures. These amendments are rich in nitrogen, phosphorus, and organic carbon, which help rejuvenate soil and fertilize crops. Are biosolids like poop? <laughs> That's a good question. Poop is actually the original soil amendment, but biosolids today are treated byproducts from wastewater treatment. You can actually really think of them as microbe poop because microbes in wastewater treatment plants eat our waste that we flush down the toilet. And then when they get so fat, they settle out of the wastewater. We collect those settled solids and further treat them and concentrate them before applying them to land. Since my dissertation research explores the microbial communities in land applied manure and biosolids, I was curious about Joe's perspective on its role in soil health. So as an environmental engineer, I particularly study the land application of biosolids and manure uh, for agricultural mm -hmm. production. And it seems like, you know, this is a, an important resource recovery pathway that keeps kind of the loop of, you know, we take the carbon, um, you know, plants are taking the fixing carbon from the atmosphere. Um, we harvest those plants, we consume them, and then they go back into our waste streams and then we reapply them to soil. Um, what are, where are the losses still coming from and, and why isn't land application returning organic carbon to the soil through these waste streams enough? Well, uh, there are several reasons for that. One is no process is, of course, 100% efficient. Um, so at each step in that process, we're losing carbon, um, you know, to either the atmosphere or uh, to make human tissue, for example, if you're eating um, those uh, products, uh, or in the waste that uh, results even from the agricultural, the, the crop process. But the other thing is that um, we're not um, reapplying the biological material to most of our farmland. And we're using chemical fertilizers, which are made at uh, very high cost of uh, fossil fuels um, and that also leach much more easily than biological materials, um, nutrients do. And they, which means that they end up uh, contaminating groundwater, surface water, um, lakes and rivers and streams. And then uh, the final reason is that the soil itself is being physically removed uh, at rates faster than, than even with reapplication of biological material we can regenerate because it's physically washing away with uh, hard rainfalls. And so that then takes it into first, you know, rivulets in the field and then to rivers and then eventually to the Mississippi River. Uh, and that uh, deposits a lot of the soil and nutrients from the soil down in the Gulf of Mexico. And keep in mind, when this soil washes away, it has some downstream effects, literally. So one of the consequences of soil and nutrients from soil being deposited in the Gulf of Mexico is the hypoxic zone that has resulted. That's a, a 7,900 square um, acre uh, 
uh, area of the Gulf of Mexico that is um, free of oxygen because it has been contaminated with nutrients that cause algal blooms. And when those algae run out of nutrients and die, other organisms um, decompose them and use oxygen in the process. And they essentially suck all the oxygen out of the water. And that has had devastating effects on the ecology of the Gulf of Mexico and also practical issues um, of loss of fishing and shellfish industries in that area. Ah, again, everything is connected. Soil erosion doesn't just hurt farmers and food production. The deposited soil ends up in the ocean and hurts the fishing industry and ocean ecology too. Uh, the soil's in a crisis. It's a big problem for everyone. And clearly land application alone is not the solution. So where does that leave us? What can we expect going forward as we continue to lose soil? More food insecurity? Well, absolutely. If, uh, if we can't produce food, then food insecurity is, is enhanced. And so I think that's the prediction of the next decades of loss of soil. If that reduces our farmland uh, productivity, then clearly that's going to lead to uh, uh, food insecurity. And uh, probably worse than insecurity, it will lead to real food shortages. Um, we're not quite as flush with food as we like to believe in this country. Uh, we have stockpiles of food that are a lot lower than many people would like them to be. Um, so we're a lot closer to being on the edge um, of being food insecure um, than, than I think our everyday lives and the amount of food that we waste would, would suggest. Um, but with the loss of soil, that uh, working close to the edge of our needs, I think, is going gonna, is gonna to end up being uh, much more severe, and we're going to be hard-pressed to produce more than we need and perhaps uh, in a few decades as much as we need. And that's just the United States. I mean, other countries like India and China are suffering erosion at even four to ten times the, the, the rate that we are. So some countries are going to run out of soil much more quickly, and which is why it's so important for the United States to act quickly and set a model for the rest of the world, but uh, we don't seem to be uh, developing policy to do that. And just so I can, you know, like panic appropriately, is this all happening right now? Basically, it's an urgent situation. This is what Dr. Handelsman had to say. Hard to predict in terms of a, a time frame because we don't know uh, how fast we will be uh, eroding soil uh, in the future. But we've done some projections. When I was in the White House, uh, my group calculated, you know, if it was eroding at this rate, then when would we run out of soil? And um, clearly, the average rate of soil erosion across agricultural land is about 10 times uh, the rate at which it's produced, which doesn't give us very long for um, having productive agricultural land. And in many areas, that will be, uh, it already is a crisis. There are areas, uh, large tracts of land that have already lost all of their topsoil. Uh, Ohio has lost enough that they're starting to see it eating into their crop yields. 
Um, and in the next 10 years, I think we're going to see a, a pretty large expansion of those areas that are affected by soil loss, and they're, they're, they will be affected in their ability to produce um, crops. Um, it, if it increases, as the weather predictions would suggest it will, uh, then I would say we're going to be in a pretty serious crisis mode by mid-century, 2050 or so. Well, this is pretty grim. Why is this not big news, and what are farmers, scientists, environmentalists, and politicians doing to mitigate this looming crisis? Can we fix a problem quickly enough to prevent the kind of catastrophe that Dr. Handelsman is talking about? Right, we need some solutions. But this conversation also made me realize how much there is about soil that I just don't know. So before we start talking about solutions, I think we need to dig deep into the science of soil. Oof. Stay tuned for episode two, where we'll learn more about how microbes live in soil and what they do that helps solve the soil crisis. And we'll make some more terrible puns. <laughs> Our final microbe clue is that this bacteria is actually Dr. Handelsman's favorite microbe. Um, do you have a favorite microorganism or metabolism? Well, it's so hard to pick because there's so many great ones, but I guess I would have to say that um, Bacillus cereus, which I've worked on for uh, about 35 years now, would have to uh, be my favorite just because it is such an interesting organism that has kept us busy and intrigued for so many years. And every time we study some new aspect, we uncover uh, unexpected uh, characteristics. Um, it's also an underappreciated organism because uh, some Bacillus cereus strains cause food poisoning. And so people think of it as a food toxicant, but in fact, it's one of the most ubiquitous and abundant organisms in the soil and uh, we think pretty important for the soil. So uh, once again, uh, just one slice of a microbe that people have um, contact with through, you know, horrible toxicology, the food poisoning process, uh, makes them judged an entire species. So I'm I'm just a little bit protective and defensive of Bacillus cereus because it's really it's it's a great organism. We are so grateful to our guest, Dr. Joe Handelsman, for her time and expertise, without which we wouldn't have been able to create this podcast. This podcast also wouldn't be possible without the Burroughs Welcome Fund, which supports the items program. And that concludes this first episode of the Item Soil Podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. I know that I certainly did. This podcast is a three-episode series, so make sure to tune back in for the second episode on the science of soil and the third episode on some possible soil solutions.